Come on. Welcome, Life Club. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Mark Stoos. Mark, are you ready to do this? Yeah, of course. It's All great right. to great to be here. Oh, excited to have you on. Mark is the CEO of Proof Analytics. They're a marketing and analytics platform that helps CMOs and CFOs bridge the ROI gap. He's an award-winning B2B CMO and CCO. That has a lot of acronyms, Mark. Definitely yeah, excited. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. You know, before I do that, I'll just say this. You know, the interesting thing about an acronym right, or inside baseball type language is that it's really about defining your audience, right? If you're, you know, if, if you are really trying to uh, speak to a certain group of people, you want one way to define that is do they speak the same language that you do, right? Um, and so while there's a lot of people who say, oh, you know, all that stuff, you know, that you shouldn't use that to communicate, Um you know, if you look at like the ideal customer portrait idea, the ICP, you know, the, the whole goal of the ICP is to get things as small as possible, as targeted as possible, right? Um, within a large, hopefully a large addressable market, right? But your ICP is always a sub, very small subset of that. And so one of the one of the values, and people don't really talk about this, but it's true. One of the values of all these acronyms and the slang and you know all this kind of stuff that pro- different professions use is uh, it defines the the ICP of sorts, right? Are you are you in that particular club or not in that particular club? Um, so we don't, particularly given the fact that we are also very specialized. We actually don't shy away from all that because if someone goes to our website, for example, and says, what the hell is this? They're probably not going to buy from us anyway. So now your question was, give that to me again. I, I think I think that that's a, a a great way to think and 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 look at it. So thank you. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about about what what proof does and 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 why you are doing it so proof um proof is all about taking so the 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 problem so many different ways to kind of answer this question that's why i'm kind of like doing this um (laughs) the problem that proof solves is that people want to understand what might be going to happen in the future in some aspect of their business, right? So this is forecasting using multivariable regression analytics, which is the, you know basically the foundation stone of the scientific method. Um, and yet the problem, that's not, no, that's new. That, all that math has been around in some cases for thousands of years. I mean, one of the algorithms that's in, um, most of the R code packages for regression was actually written by Aristotle, right? So that, that gives you some sense of what we're talking about here. Um, but the, the real issue is not the math and not the data. It's how do we make the whole thing work and operationalize it so that it creates relevant answers in time and space. In other words, if you're making a decision, 
the whole goal of analytics is to make it be able to make a better decision based upon the insights that you're getting from the analytics. And if those analytics and those insights arrive too late in your operational cadence, they're almost worthless, right? So we automated all of that. And so today we, you know, we work with companies like Bayer and Samsung and, you know, I mean, all kinds of folks, right? Um, and, and it's mainly because at the end of the day, people have this drive to better understand the future. Now we're limited in this regard, right? But, but uh, people want, the more you can help them look around corners and down the road and all this kind of stuff and understand cause and effect um, on a reasonably large scale, that's highly valuable. I mean, you, you know, uh, once upon a time you would have been considered, you know, a mathematician doing this would have been considered a profit, right? Mm-hmm. So some kind of a mystic, right? Yeah, no. I mean, what well, that which we can't explain is magic, right? And then and then as soon as we get an explanation, it's science, right? I mean, it's kind of kind of funny the way that works. Have have you always what is what is your background? How do you find yourself doing this kind of work? Uh, that's a really great question. I mean, I actually started as a journalist. Uh, I was a Newsweek reporter and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I went into big agency PR and politics after that. So I was a speechwriter for uh, the president of the United States at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of felt sort of, I, I, I think in some respects, I, I had a midlife crisis earlier. Right? <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I thought, I thought I'd go into the corporate world uh, somehow thinking that that was somehow a cleaner proposition. Right. Um, and in some respects it, it really is a cleaner proposition, but in, in other respects, it's not. And, and so I, I just kind of ascended inside of large corporations to lead large communications, uh, teams globally, marketing teams, CMO, CCO, uh, then the other kind of CCO, which is a, a chief commercial officer. And so I just kind of gradually iterated. I mean, my whole career has just been a massive iteration of sorts. And so today, you know, I, well, so about five years ago, I founded Proof. Um, and so now I'm the CEO of an analytics software company, which, um, so, there, I mean, I've experienced a lot of change on this topic in the last several decades, but my my high school math teachers all think it's hilarious, right, that, <laughs> that I'm now doing what I'm doing, right? Um, that's, not, that's not the Mark Stoos that they remember, you know, at 16, 17 years of age. I think it's fascinating how you're – and I don't, I don't know if it's actually both sides of your brain, but using the written word uh, to help somebody write a wonderful speech to help inspire confidence and certainty in the mission of this is the direction I'm taking the country or the city or whatever. And now you're helping CEOs and CMOs and, and, and other people within the organization to take and interpret 
data that they otherwise wouldn't be able to in order to do a very, very similar thing. No, it's true. You know, I mean, it, it it's, um, you know, if I have a kind of a core ability at a, let's call it a almost metaphysical level, right? The, the, the existential level for all of us, right? Um, it's kind of that ability, that syncretic ability to move back and forth between right and left, not just in my brain, but for the benefit of other people, right? And so I tend to be, you know, in a sense, I mean, this has a negative connotation to it, so just bear with me. But in a sense, I tend to be a little bit of a chameleon with people because my job is to be the opposite of what they are. You know, if they're left brain, then I help them understand the right brain. Mm. If they're right brain, I go the other way. Right. And, and because I have kind of an equal facility there, um, I mean, some people, you know, I hate this word actually, but everyone seems to kind of, you know, immediately recognize what it means. You know, I'm sort of a whisperer, right. Um, certainly a translator. I'm probably happier with that word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that makes sense. Do you feel like hmm, we have such a pull towards entrepreneurship these days? Yes. Uh, and, and, and people are passionate about it. In your experience, are most entrepreneurs happy and how are you able to, to find that sort of, for lack of a better term, happiness in the middle of your brain, balancing the right and the left and helping others do that. That's a, that's a very deep question. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I have seen. Um, entrepreneurship at its root is a, is a, is all about the, the, the search for significance. Um, we, we cloak it in all kinds of things, right? Oh, I want to be my own boss and, you know, whatever. But trust me, all that stuff is total bull, right? Because <laughs> you are not your own boss. If you have investors, if you have customers, if you have employees, guess what? You know, you work for them, right? Um, it, 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 it also, you know, it's a real test, I think, for any person to be an entrepreneur because it get it, 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 you know, every, if you have existential buttons to be pushed inside of you, that experience will push them. Hmm. Absolutely guaranteed. Um, it is tailor-made for addicts, right? It, there is a, a treadmill aspect to entrepreneurship that means that you never actually get there. Now you could argue that, well, of course, you know, when you exit, if you sell your company, right, you have gotten there. And yet how many entrepreneurs do you know, right? That after exit, just, you know, go sit on a beach for the rest of their life. Right. Right. They can't deal with the idea that they are suddenly not relevant or significant, even if they have a hundred million dollars in the bank, right? 
it's it's a it's like the it it um it's sort of the unscratchable itch right it's it's sort of like collecting so i'm a big collector one of the things i coll- i've collected all kinds of things um usually in the in the realm of my interests which are historical uh and technical right um but like a watch collection watches for a long time have you know last 15 years have been real hot <clears throat> you go as a collector you go through this period where you think if i can just get that watch that holy grail watch that vacheron constantine or that patek philippe or that rolex or whatever it is that you know you consider to be the neplu ultra of the whole thing if i can just get that um my collection will be complete and i will be happy mm-hmm. And then you sometimes get it. And that feeling that you're, that you're wanting happens. And then it lasts for maybe a month. And then you're off on the next pursuit. You know, one of the things that I learned uh, about collecting is that the pursuit of the collection is the joy of collecting. The ownership is the anticlimax. Unless, of course, you're kind of a hoarder, in which case I guess it's not that way. But for most collectors, they're not hoarders, right? Um, And this is why you see collections churn. This is also why you see serial entrepreneurship. This is why... You know, I, I'm part of several groups of, of founders, founding CEOs of um, that are focused on mental health of founders. <clears throat> One of the things that I think is particularly destructive in, in the technology startup space is this idea that you have to hockey stick fast which is the antithesis of sustainability, mm-hmm. by the way. So you can't have it both ways. If you're preaching sustainability in other parts of your life and you're working to hockey stick as an entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're at cross purposes with each other, right? With yourself. So you see, you, I've been in situations, particularly pre-COVID when we were doing it in person, where I'd be walking in with a founder and, and it was, you know, all the typical language, I'm killing it. It's awesome. Da, 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 you know, (laughs) and, and then you get in this group, you know, which is by definition, you know, uh, uh, in terms of the identity of people, totally radically confidential. Um, And you see the same guy essentially curled up in a chair in a fetal position And I'm not exaggerating when I say that and utterly just shattered. Um, This is not a, this, this is what I mean by the destructive forces in entrepreneurship, the addiction in, you know, it's sort of like that old saying that says, if I, if you want to know who you are, uh, or if I want to know who you are, I'm going to give you a lot of money. Um, 
and power. And I will instantly find that out. I mean, Mm -hmm. within six months, the same thing is true about entrepreneurship. You know, it's the ultimate, this is, this is a very generationally dating concept, but, um, but it's the ultimate disclosing tablet. You know, when I was a little kid, before I went to the dentist, my mom would give me these little red pills and I had to chew them up. And wherever I had, you know, stuff on my teeth, whatever, it would turn them kind of red, pink kind of color, right? I forgot about those. You know, and and that is uh, that, that is a powerful metaphor. Uh, unfortunately, I can't really think of a more modern version, but but nevertheless, it's a powerful metaphor because that's what entrepreneurship is. It's a disclosing tablet for your soul. I love it. I think that that's I think that that's super powerful. Is that table stakes for successful entrepreneurship? Is being wired that way? Is that a feature or a bug? How do you think about that? Both. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, it's one of the reasons why so many startup employees think ultimately that their founder is a narcissistic butthead. (laughs) Right. And, um, because they are, you know, um, you have to work really super hard in this life to not be selfish. It's an act of intentional will to not be selfish. There's no one who is inherently unselfish. Um, It's it's there's grays, right? I mean, some people kind of have a, you know, a better personality than others. Right. But, but still, um, and I think that that is really true for, for founders, right? Um, the whole funding process uh, really is a massive trigger on this because the very thing that is, is kind of like a highly perishable short-term marker of success, meaning investment, right? Lots of funding pouring into your company. Um, is also diluting the hell out of you. And so if you don't succeed in, in driving a huge, in creating a huge pie so that even your much smaller piece is worth more than your former dominant piece, right. Then you're, you've got a big problem, right. And, um, and they, you know, you rapidly find yourself in the situation where, you're effectively you may be the founder and all that stuff, may even be the founding CEO, but you are now really a, just an employee, you know? And so this, at one level, there's nothing wrong with that intrinsically, but it psychologically really triggers massive selfishness. I mean, we're, I was just reading this article um, this morning uh, right now it's, it's in a, a, something called the information and it's about all these, the headline is startup workers find that founders cashed out when they couldn't. Right. So it's all about all these founders in the last year before, obviously everything went to hell, um, who were secretly selling, fairly significant portions of their ownership and cashing out early um, while at the same time uh, 
denying their employees the ability to do the same thing. Hmm. Okay, this is a completely understandable impulse for a normal, selfish human being, okay? Mm-hmm. That does not mean that it's right. This does not mean that it should have happened, right? Um, but it's a great exemplar of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it requires a virtuous human being to, to, to not to be selfish because we all our impulse is to is to satiate our needs and to yeah. be wise enough and strong enough and forward thinking enough and all all of those things to you can also to you can, it's important to say this you you can go too far in the other direction mm-hmm. right you can lay yourself down you can you can deny your own interests to an unhealthy degree and that in a way ultimately puts you at risk disproportionately to everybody else around you. Right. And we're not as, as founders or as people, right. Uh, we're not usually, there are exceptions obviously, but we're not usually called to lay down our life for people as a normal matter. Of course, it may happen that way. Right. Um, I mean, as a, as a history guy, you know, I can give you lots of stories where particularly in combat where that was the way it turned out and that was necessary, but it's not normal. And that, and so there is a balance that you have to strike. Right. And sustainability doesn't just apply to everyone outside of yourself. It applies to you as well. Right. You have to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. I think that's well said. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? And where can they find proof analytics? And who should be looking for proof analytics? So they, you know, I'm pretty I'm actually very active on LinkedIn. So that's probably the easiest way to find me. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter uh at Mark Stuce, all one word. Um the proof website is proofanalytics.ai. And as far as who, who should be interested in this, if, if you are a business leader, if you're a marketing leader and you're being asked right now, hey, what am I getting for all that money that I've just been spending with you for all this time? And how do we know that we're spending the right amount of money? relative to the circumstances in the marketplace, the headwinds and the tailwinds and all this kind of stuff. Um, And how do I know that you're actually executing based upon what you could be doing, right? So this is the issue of forecasting. If that's your need, right? uh, We can do it better, faster, and cheaper than anybody on the planet. So um, that's who should be looking out for us. Love it. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Mark your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to proofanalytics.ai and check out all the great things that Mark is working on. You can find Mark on LinkedIn and Twitter. It's M-A-R-K. The last name is spelled S-T-O-U-S-E. Love it. Thanks again, Mark. Hey, thank you, man. Have a great day. 
And until next time, fighting the good fight, we are all in this together.